Hello, and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Stephen Stanwood, a trademark lawyer based in California. We will discuss his work as a trademark educator and his role in the open access law movement. So welcome to the show, Stephen. Hey, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. I love your podcast, and I'm uh, really excited to be a part of it. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to have you on because I adore your trademark videos, which I think are smart, funny, and really wonderfully educational. And uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I'm totally looking forward to using them in my intellectual property classes when we start talking about trademark law. So thanks to you for making those videos, which we'll talk about more later in the show. That's really exciting for me to hear. I've been sort of blown away by the amount of interactions I've had with trademark professors all across the country. And I'm super flattered that anything I make would you know, make its way back into educational setting like that. Awesome. Well, Stephen, why don't we start by you just talking a little bit about who you are and kind of how you got to where you are now? Like, what was your own path to law school? And how did you get interested in trademark law specifically? So I'm the kid of two lawyers. So I'm one of those law school was fairly inevitable people for a long time. My parents said, you know, you can do a lot of things with a law degree. And I graduated undergrad and I went and I tried different things for a while. And then I was living in DC at the time and it seemed like everybody I was talking to was saying the same thing. You know, you have to jump back into law school, you have to get that degree and then you can come back out and do all these interesting things. Uh, so I took the leap finally, and I'm really glad that I did. I've ended up in the small firm world, which is totally different than what my parents did. They were both big firm, corporate in-house type attorneys. And I've just had a great time uh, figuring out what it means to run my own firm most recently, but even before that, what it means to work for a firm that's just one attorney or just a couple of attorneys. And I've had just a great time doing that. Mm. Well, how did you get interested in trademark specifically? Was that something you went into law school knowing that you wanted to focus on, or was it an interest you developed as a law student? I sort of had the general interest in intellectual property writ large. I, uh, one of the first things I did once I got into law school was intern with the Electronic Frontier Foundation out here in San Francisco. It's a fantastic experience there working with you know people who were doing really, really um, sophisticated stuff with copyright and the internet and how these old laws apply to new technology. So that was always something that was appealing to me. As I sort of moved through law school, I figured out that you know, patent law is, is technical and I don't come from a technical background or anything like that. Um, copyright is still sort of intellectually interesting to me, but where I really fell in was was trademarks because it was this opportunity to work with uh, solo entrepreneurs and small companies doing interesting things and like literally making a name for themselves and protecting that name. So that was a lot of the uh, work that I did during internships in law school and then in my first job out of law school. And then I just kept building on that to where I am today. Yeah, you know, as Ed Timberlake once said to me, which I really liked, uh, ironically, trademarks are, in, are like the most poetic form of intellectual property because it's all about the reception of the reader rather than the intent of the speaker. I think that's right. And one of the revelations I had about my life as a lawyer is that I became a lawyer fundamentally because I love to read and I love to write and I love to think. And that's I, I thought forever that that was, you know, why everyone went to law school and why everyone would work as a lawyer. And then I sat down and started having conversations with people and it was like, oh, no, you know, I want to 
go to court and I want to argue, or I want to serve this specific set of clients, or I want to do this and that, I want to make a bunch of money. Um, so once I honed in on the fact that I was going to be all about words and writing and thinking about how it was just a very natural fit to uh, niche down on trademark law the way that I did. Mm. Well, so I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about going into practice on your own, because you're not that far out of law school yet. And I think for a lot of young lawyers, that's a really kind of daunting and scary decision to make. So sort of what prompted you to do that? And how has the experience been so far? It was something that was planted in my brain. I, I started law school at Georgetown in DC, and then I moved across the country when I met my wife, who's from California. So I finished up out here at Santa Clara Law. And one of the wonderful classes that Santa Clara had was this, I don't know, 14 or however many week seminar on hypothetically, what would it look like to run your own law practice? So I was going through, I was figuring that I just, you know, get out and work for firm like everybody else. But that experience made me stop and reflect and start um, constructing this hypothetical firm. And that was something I carried with me in my mind for my first couple of years working for other people was, you know, I think, I think I might actually want to do that at some point. Um, and then I just got to the point where I felt like I was hitting a little bit of a plateau. You're right. I'm not far out of law school. I mean, it was, you know, uh, I, I don't know how we count time with, with 2020 now, but, you know, three, four years ago. Um, but I already felt like I was hitting a plateau and I felt like I knew how to do certain things and that I was just sort of showing up for the nine to five and that really the way to push myself was going to be to make that jump and to start making my own thing. So mm. had a series of conversations with my wife and then just took the leap and did it and haven't looked back since then. And it's been one of the greatest decisions I've ever made. <laughs> so when you started planning to start your own solo practice, sort of how did you envision what you would be doing? Were there kind of preparatory steps or kind of planning uh, elements to making that transition? And now that you've done it, are there things you, you kind of wish you knew before you did it that you didn't at the time? <clears throat> See, well, I was really blessed. I worked essentially every semester during law school. So even when I graduated, I came out with a lot more practical know-how about trademark stuff than I think a lot of people did. And then I compressed a lot into those first few years working for some uh, just really wonderful mentor attorneys who taught me how to do, you know, everything from A to Z. So I definitely worked up the, the substantive kind of competence side there. And that's something I definitely emphasize for anybody thinking of jumping out on your own is that you do have to have a core um, area or set of clients or type of law practice that you feel a baseline level of comfort with. I'll talk with attorneys periodically who, you know, straight out of law school, uh, knowing nothing, never having worked for anybody, like want to jump in and start their own firm. And I would caution against that because it's fine to have that ambition. Um, but what I'd say is, you know, find the best person who you possibly can, who does that kind of work and go, you know, work and learn under their wing for, even if it's just two or three years, you're going to learn a lot just by being there and figuring out, what the problems are and that your clients have and how you can solve those problems. So that was number one for me was felt like the, the substantive stuff was all there. Um, financial side, I, you know, sat down and we did an analysis of all of our personal expenses. And I made a decision really early on to keep the business expenses down uh, as close to zero as possible. So I could just uh, keep whatever the firm made. And then, 
the other thing that I did at the outset was, you know, go in for the long haul. Um, I said, this is an experiment. I hope it'll work out. I'm going to do everything I can possibly do to make it work out. Um, and I'm not going to walk away from it for at least two years was sort of the arbitrary threshold that I set down at the outset. So <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, congratulations on your, your great success. And I can only imagine it's going to be even more successful going forward, given that I've seen your profile as a trademark attorney really skyrocket uh, nationally uh, on social media. Yeah. And I mean, trademark law is unique and we'll get into the social media stuff, but I think a big part of why I chose to emphasize, you know, social media and video as much as I did is that trademark, you can help anybody anywhere across the country, right? You're not confined to your particular state or your particular county in the way that you are uh, with some other areas of practice. So that just intuitively made sense to me as a place to invest a bunch of time at the outset. Well, I, I, I became aware of you through your delightful, short trademark educational videos. And I'm sure that's true of a lot of other people. One of the things I found most interesting about them is that, you know, as an attorney or I guess former attorney kind of myself, well, I guess technically I'm still a member of the New York bar. Um, I sort of associate lawyer education with super boring and like not very helpful CLEs, but like you pack a lot of information and, and make really fun these two to three minute long videos sort of, how do you do it? What was your motivation to start doing this? What did you want to accomplish when you started, uh, when you started creating these videos? I listen, I've always listened to a lot of podcasts and I've just consumed a lot of internet content for a really long time. So I sort of understood intuitively that if you make video of yourself and you put it out there, it's really just a shortcut to starting conversations with interesting people um, and, and you know, making a name for yourself out there in the world. So that was the, that was the first part of it. People will often jump to the conclusion like, oh, you know, it's content marketing, of course, right? Like we, we put these things out in the world and then people call your firm and they hire you. And I don't really see it that way. I see it. Number one is as a networking tool to say, you know, here's who I am and here's what I'm interested in. Here's the conversation I want to be a part of. Um, and then number two, also as a professional development opportunity, I mean, it gives me an excuse to take interesting things that are going on in the news, uh, take, you know, recent trademark law decisions that I wouldn't necessarily have the occasion to pick up and read and get deep into otherwise. It gives me an opportunity to take all those things really dive into it and then try to communicate whatever I've learned to uh, everybody else out in the world. So it's selfish as much as it is anything else. Well, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the sort of development and production process for your videos, because my impression is that they look deceptively simple, but I feel like I can tell that a lot of work goes into them. So I wonder if you could like sort of talk a little bit about sort of where you find inspiration for particular videos and how you prepare yourself to record a new episode. Yeah. I think my journey has been simplifying and simplifying and then simplifying some more. When I started out at the very outset, I, because I listened to podcasts and, you know, consumed internet content and whatnot, I was, was pretty set that I was going to make videos. So I looked around at what other people were doing and the first few videos I did were the videos that everybody does, which, you know, 
video number one, you know, here's eight minutes on what is a trademark and video number two, you know, here's 10 minutes on what the difference between the trademark and the copyright and the patent is and video number three, like, why should I register my trademark? So I did those. And, uh, in the beginning, I do what I think most people do, which was I obsessed about quality. I would shoot them. I would reshoot them. I would think I was doing really, really well and then say something, you know, that wasn't totally on point and then I shoot it again and the whole thing was just a huge undertaking I bought a <laughs> green screen that my wife will probably never let me live down because now I don't use a green screen I have a beautiful background in my living room like what 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 is I even doing there um so I made these kind of I don't know higher production quality more edited things because I thought that was what you were supposed to do but uh, on the upside I got into a really consistent rhythm and pretty quickly i figured out um you don't need to get 100 of the way there on every video you can get you know 85 90 of the way there you're gonna make mistakes uh if you make a really serious mistake you could edit it but to the point today where i just basically will start with an idea jump in research it go really really deep I think that what I do that a lot of other people don't do is, you know, go really deep on primary sources, like read opinions. Um, don't just kind of stay at the surface level, like really dig into what's going on. So I will do that. And then I will write a little script and then I will you know, put it up on a, on a music stand that I have. And then I literally shoot the video on my phone. These days I'll usually do one take, sometimes two takes. Um, and then I have an app on my phone to edit it and it goes up to the internet from there. So that whole process takes like an hour or an hour, 15 minutes from now from end to end used to take, you know, <laughs> hours and hours and hours because I was pouring over things and obsessing over them. But the uh, faster you learn, you don't need to obsess. And that, you know, the judgment that you're imagining in your mind isn't really there. I, I think the more successful you'll be with social media stuff. Mm. How, how would you compare the amount of time you spend preparing to do an episode to the amount of time you spend actually recording and producing an episode? Um, I mean, it's, so, I mean, the recording is only two or three minutes, right? I don't cut or edit anything down really. I don't really do transitions unless there's a reason to do that. I don't have fancy intro music or outro music or, bumpers or anything like that um and that's because i've been very consciously making things specifically for linkedin and twitter i think it would be different if i were making you know a youtube channel that did longer videos i think there'd be more production involved in that but i basically tried to cut production down to as little as possible so that essentially everything i'm doing is either research or shooting or sort of the very short process of you know cleaning it up putting some images in there and then uploading it and sharing it up yeah. I mean, one of the things I really like about your videos is that I can kind of feel your expertise, but in a casual sort of like, let me put it in layman's terms kind of way. So it's like, they're really deep and rich, but also really conversational. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is a function of who I am. I mean, I'm a young attorney and I'm not, you know, some 20, 30 year expert. I'm not a trademark law professor, even though I interact with, you know, a ton of trademark law professors on Twitter and elsewhere who are way smarter than I am. I'm kind of that person who can be that bridge between really deep, interesting, nuanced things and the general public who is saying, you know, I don't know the difference between a trademark and a copyright, you know, <laughs> so I kind of want to 
give people a glimpse of the world of trademark law, but always keep it uh, accessible enough that anybody can watch it and anybody can you know have a takeaway from it. Mm. One of the things I like about the format that you use is the subtitles you put on all the videos. And I can't, I, I got to know, right? Do you script them in advance or do you ad lib? And sort of what was your thinking behind adopting the subtitle format? Have you found that that makes the videos more accessible? I think so. I saw a stat at some point that said like you know, three quarters of social media videos are watched on mute. So just an easy win you can get is putting words up there. So when people are scrolling through their phone or whatever, they can just follow along without having to actually turn the volume on. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I do all the subtitles myself. There's a website called Subtitle that will take the video once you've shot it and sort of automatically generate things. Then you just go in and clean them up. And that's something that takes me, you know, five minutes at this point. Um, and yeah, I'll write a script beforehand and I usually stick to those fairly tightly. I mean, I'll ad lib a little bit and if I do, you know, it gets reflected in the final subtitles because those come from whatever I end up shooting. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's funny cause it's like, uh, I, I, I kind of thought that you must be scripting them, but they don't feel scripted. Yeah. I appreciate that. But, um, I write them in a way that, I mean, it, it's easy in the sense that I'm writing for myself. So I know how I talk and I write in sort of that same way. So I can sort of make it feel as casual and conversational as possible, which is definitely the goal. So what kind of response have you gotten to the videos and um, sort of have, has your response been what you expected or what you wanted or have things happened that you weren't necessarily anticipating? I've just been totally blown away by the people that they've introduced me to, uh, the conversations that I've been a part of as a result of them, uh, how you know, frequently people have shared them and said nice things about them. I'm just so humbled by that. And at the outset, I'm very process oriented. So I thought I'm going to do these and I'm going to keep doing these and I'm just going to kind of keep at it. And I didn't have in the way that a lot of people have, you know, marketing goals. I'm not like, oh, I'm making these videos to bring in X clients by Y date or anything like that. But certainly, you know, I've been introduced to people who I work with now. That was never the goal. Um, a lot of the <laughs> law practice people probably think that this is something I could do a lot better job of is, you know, having these metrics and things. But I see one of the great upsides of working for yourself as being able to define success in your own terms and not, you know, rigidly adhere to um, goals and progress and status and, and things like that. Mm. Well, I got to say, I mean, like, I feel like a lot of law firms invest a lot of resources in producing a lot of content that is not even in the ballpark of being as successful, at least in terms of generating an audience and conversation as your work is. And I can't help but feel like at least part of it is because so many law firms produce content that just seems so divorced from what anyone would actually want to consume. And in a way, what makes your videos so effective is that they're about the viewer and not about pitching yourself. I think that's right. I think I have you know, a lot of other things going for me vis-a-vis -vis a bigger firm too. Like um, since 
I'm the only person who has to clear it. I don't end up with content that's stilted. I don't end up with content that's stale. Like uh, when the Supreme Court hears booking.com, I can then sit down, make a video about that and have that out on the internet that afternoon. There's not, you know, layers of bureaucracy or, you know, <laughs> planning committees or anything like that that have to go into <laughs> whether or not I can put something out, out online. So I think there are a lot of natural advantages for uh, solo farms like me. Mm. So as a trademark attorney, how would you kind of talk about or or think about the role of your videos and your other social media presence in terms of building your own brand as an attorney? That's interesting. I just want to be really honest about who I am. And I run sort of an unusual trademark firm, and this is... Another thing that the legal practice people would get after me about is I don't really talk about what I actually do all that often, which is I run a legal writing firm for other attorneys. So my clients are sort of general business attorneys and things like that who will stumble into uh, trademark application problems or trademark trial and appeal board proceedings or uh, infringement lawsuits and not really know anything about trademark law specifically. So what I do is I jump in and that extra set of hands who can uh, draft documents and provide guidance and be otherwise useful without them having to bring on, you know, another uh, full attorney directly towards the client. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I just think that's fascinating because I, I now get a lot of emails from former students in general practice in Kentucky and, and, you know, nearby areas who get confronted with trademark problems and they don't know who to go to because no one in the firm does it. And so they write to me being like, oh my goodness, like, how should I think about this? It's, you know, the only exposure I've had is, you know, your intellectual property class. And honestly, I've taken to sort of sending people to you and to other trademark attorneys I know to provide, to provide help. How did you come up with this business model and kind of way of thinking about where you could provide value added to lawyers who don't have the kind of specialized knowledge that you do? Well, it goes back in part, I think, to the, I became a lawyer because I love to write part. I was a litigator in my first several years of working for other people and the writing and the in-depth research part of litigation was what I loved. And the substantive substantive area that I loved most was trademark law. So it was pretty natural. I did not have this idea at the outset. I mean, I launched my firm and sort of the same model that a lot of people have launched their trademark firms. I think I was doing, you know, going to do flat rate applications and uh, take on traditional clients and things like that. And Pretty quickly, I had the realization that I didn't want to have sort of the very similar conversations that you're having when you're just cycling through trademark applications. I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> explain over and over again, like, oh, you know, it's one application for the word mark and one application for the logo. I didn't want to feel like I was in sort of this uh, recurring day after day after day sort of world. So I figured that if I really doubled down and I said, I'm going to do this one very, very specific thing that's nationwide and that, you know, has huge volume. I mean, you look at the numbers of trademark applications that are filed and the number of TTAR proceedings. It's like clear that there's a huge volume of work that's there. And I'd listened to various uh, legal practice people and also, you know, business, social media people. And a common theme is that if you niche down, if you really focus on something, 
that's going to be an effective way to communicate who you are and to uh, you know bring people in. So all those things just sort of came together for me, and I had this insight one day, which was like, I don't have to do this the way that everyone else is doing it. I don't need my firm to you know look like everybody else's firm. I don't need to bring in a bunch of attorneys and like scale up and have an office to like be successful uh, in my own mind. I can build up this expertise-based thing that lets me do a lot of what I want to do and retain a lot of flexibility. Um, and, and that's going to be great. The other part of it is in another life, I think I might have been uh, a legal academic if things had gone a different way, because I do really love the nitty gritty and I love the nuance of things. And I love just how deep and sophisticated a lot of trademark law is and I don't necessarily love a lot of the, you know, day-to-day litigation stuff. Like, I'd rather be sitting down and writing and thinking than I would be on a phone call with opposing counsel or be going to court or be even on the phone talking to clients. So that was Mm. the way I came about uh, doing what I did. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, I feel something almost kind of artistic about that approach. I mean, I'm reminded of like how we talk about like, you know, a musician's musician or a filmmaker's filmmaker. And you strike me as kind of like an attorney's attorney. Like in a lot of ways, what you're doing is appealing to other attorneys who are more generalists with something really specialized that they can especially appreciate because they know how much expertise it takes to do what you do. That's exactly right. That's how I imagine it too. And, you know, wouldn't, flatter myself by calling myself an artist, but I've always had huge respect for people who are artistic and people who have a lot of creativity in the organizations that they're building and the way they go about their work. And I kind of want to retain that creativity as much as possible. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't ask for my students and other students and young attorneys benefit. If you have any thoughts about using social media and kind of how to think about social media in relation to developing your career more generally, not just in relation to, to what you've done yourself, because I think you've done a really excellent job. And I wonder if you kind of have any advice or reflections for students who might be thinking about how to approach that. Two things. First, I think it is tremendously underrated and tremendously underused. I think that there are a lot of hesitations, especially among students who are just in law school. People will say like, oh, you know, I don't have anything to contribute to the conversation or like, I'm just a student. Like, I don't know anything yet. Or like, why is anybody going to talk to me about this? You know, they're busy. I'm busy. Everybody's busy. Just put yourself out there. Just make content about things that you think um, are interesting Talk to people you think are interesting. They're going to introduce you to other people who you will think are interesting. I was on a phone call the other day with uh, somebody who's a law student right now. He was interested in something really specific. It was like, um, you know, currency uh, in in video games and the legal issues, you know, surrounding that. And I was like, you know, the internet's going to be great for you. You can find, you know, the 10 or 20 other people who are like intensely interested in that issue and legal developments around it and build that community. And I'm just so thankful that, you know, we're alive at this particular moment in history. I've been really cognizant for a long time that, you know, the most unique thing in all of our lives is the power of the internet and the power to connect with 
people who share really specific interests. Uh, the other thing I would say is that it's a long game. You know, don't jump into social media and make it all about you. Don't ask people for things right away. I think that the more value you can bring and the more stories you can tell and the more um, interesting content you can create that other people are into, the longer you can do that, the more sort of counterintuitively it's going to come back around to you versus if you just jump on there and are, you know, looking for a job specifically or, you know, looking for somebody to sit down and put a good word in for you somewhere like that stuff's transparent and like nobody likes that stuff on LinkedIn or anywhere else. It's about building relationships in the way that you would build normal relationships with normal offline people, you know? <laughs> well, one thing that you've done that really speaks to me is your role in and promotion of the open access law movement. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, why you think it's important and how you see that in relation to your kind of professional goals. Yeah. It's something I think a lot about and I'm sort of obsessed with. I had a huge uh, amount of respect for people doing open access work even before law school. And then when I was at EFF, obviously there's a big current of open access thinking there. And even in the time that I've started doing social media things, there's this pervasive idea that one of the uh, greatest ways to bring value to people on social media is just giving away the best things you know and the best stuff you have to everybody for free. And I tend toward extre- towards extremes in a lot of situations and especially in this one. So I sat down and I thought, you know, uh, how, how can I do that given what I do? And my contribution so far has been to make part of my website that is a library of templates. And it's not, you know, <laughs> download this template so I can put you on a mailing list or anything like that. It's just, here's what I know. Here's something um, that I'm just providing because it might be useful to you. And obviously I'm in a privileged position to be able to do that. I have, you know, huge respect and empathy for people who are in more financially strapped situations than I am and really just feel like they have to, you know, charge everything that comes through the door. But I think if you're in a position to play a log game and be really, really generous with what you create and what you give, that's ultimately the way you build a successful lasting practice because then people are going to come back to you as an expert, as somebody who they already have positive feelings about and as somebody who's already helped them. Mm. Well, so in closing, Stephen, I wonder if you could reflect a little bit on sort of your vision as a young attorney with a lot of interesting, practical, on-the-ground experience about the future of legal practice and and client service and what you think the legal practice is going to look like in the 21st century. I've seen a lot of great trends and I've worked with a ton of attorneys. That's one of the, my, my favorite parts of my job is working with attorneys who are running really innovative firms and doing things in more useful client-centric you know, cost-efficient and otherwise more efficient ways. I think that it is trending towards uh, specialization and collaboration. And obviously it's 
self-serving of me to say as you know a, a trademark lawyer who helps other lawyers but i do think we're going to move into this future where maybe maybe clients have a general point of contact who's an attorney and then uh, as they have different kinds of problems they can bring in different attorneys without having to you know hire the you know, ten thousand pound solution of having a big law firm at their disposal um because because of the internet and because of uh, networks and technology and everything. I think that the, the costs of having sort of experts on call is going to keep falling and keep falling. And so we're entering into this world where uh, you personally and what you do and you know, what your brand is and the space you occupy in other people's minds, I think that just becomes more and more important as sort of the traditional, oh, you know, we just have all the lawyers under one roof model uh, continues to become less and less of the, the mainstream. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for coming on the show. I learned a lot from you uh, as I was expecting, and uh, I really look forward to watching your videos and sharing them with my own students. Thanks so much for having me. I loved it. Oh, that's my trademark.